Okay, thank you, Larry, for sharing with us this morning. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 4 as we finish the chapter, beginning with verse 18. While you're turning, I just have two real quick announcements. I have a ministry opportunity for somebody that just is looking for something to do. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't check with Danny on this, but I understand that Danny and Gretchen are leaving Tuesday for vacation. And all of our baby bottles have come back in, and I don't think they want to take the baby bottles and roll that money on vacation. <laughs> so if somebody would like to volunteer to do that, uh, that would be great. And uh, uh, just see either me or, or Danny afterwards and you, uh, save them from, from all that work. On, well, I know they could do it while they're driving down the road, but uh, that's, that's not, we don't want to put that on them. Also, uh, Eric and uh, Amy, Knutson are looking for a house to rent. They have to be out of their house by, I believe it's August 11th. So uh, if you know of any place that's available, they would appreciate you giving them that information. Romans chapter 4, beginning with verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured that what he had promised he was able to perform. Therefore also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And now, not for his sake only was it written, that it was reckoned to him, but for our sakes also, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up because of our transgressions. He was raised because of our justification. I liked the optimism of my wife. Uh, she looked at my notes and said, oh, we're going to have a short message this week. <laughs> I'm uh, not sure that it works that way, just because your notes and my notes seem to be a little shorter than normal. Probably it's not going to be a short message. <laughs> so don't get, don't get your hopes up when you look at that, that message there. But we want to continue what we started last week. Remember last week we raised the question, how do we know we're saved? How do we know we're headed to heaven? How do we know that our salvation is secure? Last week, we looked at the fact that our salvation rests upon the person of God. God has made a promise to us, and God is faithful. Because of who he is, uh, we, we looked in our Sunday school class this morning at the fact that God cannot lie. And so if he said, I have given to you eternal life, guess what? We have eternal life. It's ours today. We also looked at the fact that our salvation there rests on the promises of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's not of works. It's not if we hold on to the end. It's the fact that we are saved by the grace of God. In uh, Acts sixteen thirty one, Paul, as he dealt with the Philippian jailer, he came and he said, What must I do to be saved? His reply very simply was, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And I would suggest today that we dare not add to that. We do not tack works onto the, the 
the idea of faith there if we want to have justification. Remember, justification delivers us from what? Some of you got it. The penalty of sin. Okay, still debating about an exam, but uh, we'll see about that one of these days. Uh, We are saved from the penalty of sin. Not from the power of sin. Now, that's sanctification. That's a whole different area, and we'll look at that when we get to chapter 6. But right now, we're dealing with the fact that we have been justified. Our debt has been paid through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So we continue that theme by looking at the fact that our salvation today rests, the third one in your notes, and add that to last week. Remember, I said it was a two-part message. So this put the two pages together. That's where we get number three here. Our salvation rests upon the power of God. I like what he says in verse 18. Did you catch those words? In hope against hope. Abraham was facing an impossible situation. Impossible from a human perspective. But Abraham believed that if God said something, God was able to do it. God was able to to fulfill his word. Why? Because God is all-powerful today. In Psalm 49, when it comes to our salvation experience and so forth, in in verse 7, he says these words. It says, No one can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever that he should live on eternally. Notice there he said, the redemption of our soul is what? It's costly. You and I cannot pay that price. You and I cannot work enough or pay enough to earn the redemption for, from our sin. Yet praise the Lord, God in his power found a way to provide redemption for us. Found a way for you and I to be justified. And he uses here the example of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham at this point in time was approaching 100 years of age. Sarah was approaching 90. Now, that's a difficult time to think of having a child. (laughs) I I, I love the fact that that we have grandchildren. You know what? When you get tired of the grandchildren, you can send them home. (laughs) If it's your own children at my age, uh, that would be a problem. But uh, they realized that it was impossible for them to have a child. And yet God came and said, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a son. And in hope against hope, he looked at the impossible and he said, if God said it, I believe it. Now, as you read the Old Testament account, you remember they both laughed at the idea initially. And we tend to pick on Sarah in that connection. Sarah was rebuked by the angel of the Lord there. But before Sarah laughed, Abraham laughed as well. And so they both thought, this is a crazy idea that I'm hearing here. But they both came to the point where they believed if God said it, it's going to happen. They were convinced that God was able to do the impossible In verse 21, God is able to do what we cannot do ourselves. They were fully assured that what he promised, he was able to perform. It didn't depend on them. didn't depend on their physical circumstances. It didn't depend on any works on their part. 
it's sim- they simply believed that God was able to do what he said. And our hope of eternal salvation rests on the same thing. Do we believe God? Have we accepted him as our personal savior? It doesn't depend on what, whether we hold on till the end or not. I, I remember uh, an elder in our church in cul-de-sac, when he first heard that idea, he just kind of shook his head. And he said, you know, if it depended on me, to hold on till the end, I would probably last 10 seconds, if that much. We, he doesn't ask us to do that. He said, I give to you eternal life based on your, your relationship to the Son. Our confidence today doesn't rest on what we do or don't do. It rests on what God did for us on the cross of Calvary. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Our hope, our confidence rests in the God who Jeremiah cried out in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. He said, oh, Lord God, there is nothing impossible for you. Do you ever look at your past? Do you ever look at some of the things you did? Wonder how in the world could God save me? How in the world could God love me? Look, look at what I did. And yet, the word of God says God is able to do the impossible. He is able to reach our hearts and lives. Isaiah 59 verse 1 says his hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. And so when we come to the New Testament in Philippians chapter 1 and we read in verse 6 there that he, um, he is able to keep us to the end there. I'm jumping ahead on that, aren't I? That's okay. Okay. He's able to, what what he's begun in us, he will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, did he begin something in you when you invited him into your heart? Did he begin a change in your life? When you look at your life today, is it different than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago? Has he been working in your life? And he goes on to say in that verse, if, if he started a work in your heart because you came to Christ, he's going to continue that work until the day you're home with him in glory. In Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, in verse 12, Paul cries out that I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What had Paul committed to the Lord? He committed his very soul his very being to the Lord when he came and he accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. And so the result is in verse 22, as he looks at Abraham's life, he said it was reckoned, it was counted to him as righteousness. And the same thing, I believe, is true for us today. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He has made him to be sin for us, made Christ to be sin for us, that what? We might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, you may look at your life and say, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve his righteousness. Uh, And I hate to tell you this, but you didn't deserve it. It was an act of his grace. He, 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 in his grace, chose to give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ today. All he asked of us is that we believe, that we accept the offer that he has given to us. And while we can't do it ourselves, he has the power to do it. He is the almighty God. The fourth thing that we see in this chapter is our salvation rests upon, in verses 23 through 25 here, the provision of God as well. I like verse 23 and 24. 
Notice he said it wasn't for Abraham's sake that this was written, that it was reckoned to him. It was for, verse 22, who? It was for us. It was for our sake that he wrote these words here today. Did you ever stop to think that when God wrote this book, he had you in mind? It was a personal message, not just to Abraham. It was a personal message to you and I today. Paul, when we get to chapter 15, we're going to find out that the things were written beforehand were written, why? For our benefit, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. You were in the mind of God when these words were being packed. It's an illustration that he's given to us for our benefit. How would you have liked to have been Abraham and Sarah in that situation? They were blessed to be sure, but I wonder, did they have any idea how much of a blessing they were going to be down through the centuries to God's people, to the church? Uh, God didn't explain that to them. Uh, you know, you read the book of Job, and you, you have to wrestle with, uh, why did God do that in Job's life? And then you look at your own life, and you have to wonder, why am I going through these circumstances? What, what is he doing in my life through this? And, and you ever complain and tell the Lord, it's not fair? You're not treating me right? I, I don't like what you're doing? Uh, and yet, you know, I, in Scripture, you never find God apologizing for what he did. You never find him necessarily coming in advance and saying, hey, I'd like to do this in your life. What do you think about it? He, he does it because he is God and he's working in our lives. And when we cooperate with God in that process, we are blessed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 3, he, he speaks of the fact that God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we might be able to comfort somebody else. The things that touch our lives may not be strictly for our benefit, although we are blessed in the process if we cooperate with him. It may be so that God can touch somebody else's life through us. And uh, often God doesn't ask us, would you like me to do that through you? He just simply sends the trial, and uh, we have the responsibility to react rightly to it. In a sense, all that God asked of Abraham was, Abraham, trust me, trust me. Now, uh, sometimes when we're driving, if, if Ginger's driving, I'm the navigator, I'll say, turn at the next stoplight. And uh, sometimes she'll say, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I could explain, yeah, I've got the map. Uh, no, I, a lot of times I simply say, trust me. No. <laughs> she, she's wise enough to know that if I say that, I probably don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and so she'll question me even farther on that. But when it comes to God and God says, trust me, Hebrews chapter 6 says it's impossible for God to lie. We can trust him because he gave his son for us. He is trustworthy today. And so as you think about that, what are you trusting in? All he asked us to do is simply believe. Have we believed in him? Have we accepted the salvation that he has held out to us? Acts 16 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Our salvation today rests not upon us, but upon him. Notice verse 25, he was delivered up, why? 
because of our transgressions. What does that mean? He went to the cross to pay the price for our sin. Remember God said, the day you eat of it, Adam and Eve, you shall surely die. Death came as a result of sin. Uh, Ezekiel says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. God demanded the death penalty. Now, you're going to have to wait till you get to heaven to ask him why. I'm not going to explain all of that to you today. But uh, he went to the cross, took our place on the cross of Calvary, and paid the price for us. He was delivered up because of our transgressions. It wasn't the Jews that nailed him there. It wasn't the Romans. It was your sin and mine that nailed him to the cross. He, he went there willingly for us. And then he goes on to say he was raised, why? For our justification there. In, on the cross, Jesus cried out, it is finished. The price is paid. Years ago, I got the job of being uh, treasurer for our, the, the BC field of when we were with Arctic Commissions. I got the job because I was a math major. Now, I, I realize, and as I tried to explain to them, that's two different fields, accounting and math. But the, uh, to our superintendent, they both involve numbers, so you can do the bookkeeping. Uh, actually, it was more complicated than that. Uh, he had been doing the bookkeeping. Uh, the, the they had just started the field, their work on the field a few years before that. Ken was keeping the books. And for probably four years, he never reconciled his bank account. And he came to the point where he, he realized something's wrong here. My account doesn't match the bank's account, and uh, he didn't have a clue where to start. And so he came and he said, hey, w w would you help me? And I said, okay, give me the books. I'll look at them. Uh, it'll probably take a few hours, but I'll, I'll go over them for you. <laughs> and uh, it did take a few hours, but I found out, uh, I started at the beginning. And he had all of his bank statements. He had everything there, the canceled checks. So I started at the beginning. And I found about the second or third year there that he had made a deposit of $400 in the bank and hadn't written it in the checkbook. So at the end of the day, I said to him, you know, you actually have $400 in the bank that you didn't know you had. And things are better than you thought. Because he thought, if it's off, I've got to make it up. I've got to pay for it. And uh, so... Because of that, he said, you've got the books from now on. <laughs> You're going to be our bookkeeper. And, uh, you know, one of the privileges over the years as I served on that was we knew who was struggling financially in the mission. When they got their statement, they got that individually. I didn't see their statement, but I knew if they weren't able for a month or two to pay the bill that they owed to the mission for different things, that they were struggling. And it was our privilege at times, if, if God blessed us, we could bless somebody else without them even knowing it. I, I would take money and I would put it to their account. Uh, one occasion, uh, again, it was Ken, came to me and he said, you made a mistake on my, my bill. He it said, I, I, I don't owe anything. And he said, I know I do. He said, I don't know how much, but I know I do. And I said, no, your account has been settled. I didn't tell him how it had been settled. I said, somebody paid your account. You don't owe a penny. And that's what happened on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ paid 
the price of our redemption. He paid for our sin through his blood, 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 there. And so the, the, the price has been paid. Now, Ken had the opportunity at that point to argue the case. He could have said, no, I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to pay my bill. He didn't because he didn't have the money. But uh, uh, he could have taken that route if he wanted to. But Jesus died. But then notice he said he rose, why? For our justification, so that we could be just before God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it speaks of the fact that Satan loves to come before God and accuse us. He's the accuser of the brethren. Look at that pastor down. Look at some of the things that he's done. How can you forgive him? How, how can he be on his way to heaven when, when he does the things that he does? And Jesus says, I paid for it with my blood. We're, we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony there. First John chapter 2 speaks of the fact that you know, he, he's writing that we sin not, but he said, you know what, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is what? The propitiation for our sin. He is the one who has paid the price for our sin. And so as you think about that today, are you struggling with doubts? You look at your life and think, how could God love me? How, how, could, how could I be sure I'm going to heaven when I do some of the things that I do? We go to heaven because Jesus Christ died, paid the price, took away our sin, and said, I have given unto you eternal life. And all he asked of us in that moment is that we believe, that we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Our justification doesn't rest on our works, on our self-effort. It, it rests upon the person and the power and the provision of Jesus Christ. Years ago, the gifted hymn writer, Frances Havergal, have you ever heard of her? She lived from 1836 to 1879. Gave us some beautiful songs. You remember the song, Take My Life and Let It Be, Consecrated Only All to Thee? Uh, like a River Glorious Moves the hand of God there, uh, who is on the Lord's side. These are all songs that, that Francis wrote, and, and we still sing many of them today. On the last day of her life, she was so weak that she couldn't even read the scripture for herself. And so she asked a friend who was sitting by her, her bedside if she would read to her chapter 42 of Isaiah. She came down to verse 6 where it says, I the Lord have called thee in righteousness, I will hold thine hand, I will keep thee. Francis Havigal stopped her and said these words, called, held, kept. That's enough. I'll just go home to glory on those words. And within a few minutes, she slipped into the presence of the one, the Lord that she had loved for so many years of her life. It wasn't based on her. It was based on the work of Jesus Christ. She was called. She was held. She was kept by him. And we can have that same assurance today. We have the person of God to rest on. We have the promise of God. We have the power of God. And we have the provision of God. So much so that when you come down to 1 John chapter 5 verse 12, he says, he that hath the Son has what? Has life. Eternal life there. Not may have life. It says he has life. We can be freed from the penalty of sin. How? By simply believing the word of God. Believing what he has promised us 
in Scripture by simply asking him, as the Philippian jailer did, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Are you struggling with doubts? Put them to rest today. Do you really believe in Jesus Christ? If you do, you have his eternal life. That is what he has promised you today. It doesn't matter what Satan says or whispers to you as the accuser of the brethren. What really matters is, what does God say? And God says, I accept the sacrifice of my son. And if God says it, it's true. I think of this particular week, VBS. Can a little child accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior? And if they do, are they saved for eternity? We have a work of eternal significance going on this week. I trust uh, that you are going to be, if you're not involved in it here, that you're going to be on your knees praying that God will reach young people with the gospel message. We, that's what we're here for. That's our purpose, is to spread that message of how people can become right with God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the price that Jesus Christ willingly paid for us. We marvel at that. We can't begin to fathom why or the depth of that love that sent Christ to the cross when we look at our own selves. And yet you say it's true in your word. And you are the almighty God. And so we rest our hope, we rest our salvation upon you and upon your word. And we thank you for the redemption that you have brought to us from the penalty of sin. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you really believe that, join with us in singing, Thank You, Lord. Thank you.